Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Breaks a tackle. Hey everybody, welcome to the BSM Buffs podcast presented by Canyon Bakehouse. I'm your host, Henry Chisholm. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about the delicious certified gluten-free breads, bagels, English muffins, and other baked goods that are made right here in Johnston, Colorado. Canyon Bakehouse's gluten, dairy, nut, and soy-free products make it easy for families to enjoy the taste and texture of fresh bread so everyone can love bread again. Find them at any major grocery store in the freezer or fresh bread aisle, or purchase online and visit canyonglutenfree.com to grab a coupon. How's it going? Uh, Today was the final media availability for Mel Tucker and his Buffs football team before the season starts Friday night at 8 p.m. at Broncos Stadium. What a terrible name. They need to do something about that. Against the Colorado State Rams and the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Should be an awesome time. I'm so excited to get the season going. Uh, Today in the show, we're going to talk a little bit about what's been going on in practice the last couple days. Uh, Not that we've actually seen, but what we've heard from the people after practice. And then get into the Buffs defense. We did a lot of the offensive breakdown. Try to get through maybe half of the Buffs defense today. What to expect from all these different positions. Uh, Some early projections sort of about how this rotation is going to work, who's going to get playing time where. And then uh, in the final segment, as always, take your guys' questions. I think we had six comments today maybe. So that should take some time. If you haven't noticed, my voice is almost back. It still really hurts. But we're going to power through because 303 Sports on Twitter just sent me a video of a pregame speech given by Mel Tucker, and my goodness, is it incredible. You know, that's not a side of Mel Tucker I get to see very often. Uh, The one where he's screaming and yelling and talking about knocking people's heads off and that kind of stuff. Because usually at the podium, he's very calm and composed. I was going through my audio from today and from yesterday that I recorded during the press conferences, and there there were some like of those golf cart things that people ride around uh, that drove by. And every time one drove by, it drowned out him whispering, which is just incredible because when you think of a football coach, you don't think of a guy who's that quiet, who just stands up at the podium and really thinks through everything he says and whispers it very soft. Well, maybe whispers stretching it, but he says it very softly, very uh, refined in all the points he's trying to make. It's impressive stuff. So seeing the video of him just screaming about being a Georgia Bulldog, pretty cool. And I hope we get to see some of that from uh, this Buffs Athletics Department media team. I know they're filming some sort of documentary. There's going to be like weekly shows or something. I haven't gotten the full scoop, but I think the first one drops tomorrow on Wednesday. And it's always fun to see a behind-the-scenes look of these teams. You know, we get that with Last Chance U, for example, or... uh, you know, hard knocks is going on and it really shows you what's happening with these teams behind the scenes. And it's pretty cool that the buffs are going to have that. I know they had like the rise series a couple years ago and I'm not sure how this is going to compare to that, but I'm excited to see it because it's just a window into what we don't get to see from the outside. Okay. So that was a bit of a tangent, but today, uh, heard from Mel Tucker, uh, with classes going on, it's been kind of tough to pin down players for media availability. 
because you know they have to run off to lift they have to run off to class all their schedules are just so much more hectic now that class starts so there's really no guarantee that the people you request are going to be available so i only got to talk to mel tucker today and we didn't hear too much new stuff from him uh which i mean makes sense a lot of what he said today about csu he said last week or he said yesterday you know the offense is very multiple it's going to be a test for this defense um I have a story posting on BSN Denver. I think it's going to post sometime during the time that I'm taping this show. Just kind of depends on the editing process and all that sort of stuff. But up tonight at the very latest, Tuesday night, and it's about how the uh, secondary is trying to grasp the new defense and how that's coming along, what the complexities are. And one of the things I mentioned in there, and I don't want to give away too much of the story because we have to do some things that are for subscribers because they give us the money to do all the cool things that we do. But one interesting point that I really enjoyed hearing Mel Tucker talk about was how this week against CSU is a rules game. That's what he called it, a rules game. And the reason for that is they have a sense, the Buffs have a sense of what the Rams want to do. They have the tape from last year. You know, Mike Bobo's been up in Fort Collins for a while. So they they, they pretty much know the offense that the Rams are going to run. And they've come up with a game plan to counter that. But at the same time, it's a new season. And they're going to try some new things because that's what every team does every year. They come up with a couple more ideas that they try to mix in and some work and some don't and some stick throughout the season and some get canned before halftime of the first game. But there will be some new concepts that the Buffs won't have a chance to prepare for. And it's kind of an interesting situation. Oh, I said interesting again. That kind of turned into a bit on Twitter. And so now I realize every time I say the word interesting, I've been doing a good job. I'm not sure if you guys have been paying attention the last couple of days, but I really have been cutting out interesting which is a weird thing that I do for my job. But getting back to the point, uh, there's some stuff that the Buffs won't expect that the Rams are going to do. And that means that they need to be prepared to be flexible with this defense. With a new defense, obviously you'd like to go into the season knowing exactly what to expect. And this isn't realistic because you're always going to have a new defensive scheme beginning at the beginning of the season, never in the middle once you've already had tape on these guys. But it just kind of doubles down this unpredictability when you have guys not just doing what they know they're going to have to do, but coming up with adjustments on the fly, on the field, to new things that they see. It's going to be a real test. It's going to be very difficult uh, for them to just adjust to what they see on the field. So Mel Tucker says it's a rules game. That means that in a given situation, you know, if it's uh, 10 personnel, let's say, uh, one running back, no tight ends, that means four receivers out wide, maybe three on one side, then the defense has a way that they are going to respond to that. And there are other factors like the down and distance and all that sort of stuff. But basically, the defense will decide the coverage based on these, you know, very very quantifiable pieces of information. It's not left up for judgment. It's they did this, so we're going to do this. Almost like a machine. And when you get a chance to see the tape of what this Rams offense will do, you get to talk more about what those things look like. You get to see what they're shifting from and into another one. And the coaches have a chance to kind of give hints to to this defense so that when they're on the field within, you know, 15 seconds, they have to read everything, make up their mind, communicate things, and then maybe at the last second, the offense throws somebody in motion and changes it all. When you know what you're looking for, you have a head start, and it becomes a lot easier to make those decisions. When you don't know what you're looking for, which will be the case sometimes with the new offensive ideas that Mike Bobo incorporates for the Rams, you really have to go on the fly, and it's all based on these things that they've been implementing over the last 10 months. Now, maybe not that long, nine months, whatever December is. Yeah, let's call it nine months. So this is going to be difficult for them to really test things out on the fly, see whether they can make the right decisions, put themselves in good situations, and then adjust throughout the game to fit better. 
this is the complexity of the Mel Tucker scheme. This is why, you know, you look at Alabama or the Patriots might even be a better example because this is the Saban-Belichick defensive scheme that's kind of been developed over the last 20 years or so since those two were working together. If you look at the Patriots, that defense really doesn't have too many guys that you look at and say, wow, that's a talented team. You know, that's somebody who I think should be making a bunch of money. Any team would be lucky to have him. They're all guys who just understand their jobs and understand what they're supposed to do, who won't make mistakes. And that's why by the time you get to the playoffs, the Patriots defense is always one of the best in the league. And it's always kind of surprising that it is the best in the league because they don't have those guys, but they understand the scheme. They're always putting themselves in the best possible situation based on the offensive personnel, their own personnel. And that's what Mel Tucker is bringing to Colorado is that super smart defense, but it's complicated and it may take a couple weeks for everybody to really understand the nuances on a given play and a given shift. And whenever there is a blown coverage, it's going to be very obvious because that's how blown coverages work because it's a receiver running free in the middle of the field, down the sideline somewhere. And a good quarterback, a quarterback like Colin Hill, who's more of a smart guy than an arm talent guy, is going to find that open receiver and take advantage of the situation. So, you know, I'm not too concerned for the Buffs in this week one matchup against Colorado State. But if there's one reason to be concerned, it's that this is a very complicated defense and it's going to be difficult for them to put it all together on the fly against a veteran quarterback who's gotten a lot of hype in camp. That's the one thing that if if you want to be concerned about the buffs for some reason, that's, that's what you're really pointing to. That's what uh, the, the difficulty could be. I think that's really the key point of what we learned from Mel Tucker recently in these media availabilities. I think that was the most interesting point was hearing him talk about this defense. One more note. I did ask him after he talked about all that, you know, does that make your defense predictable when you do have a given set of rules for each situation? You know, because the offense could say, oh, the last four times we've done this, the Buffs did that. And he said no, because... It's a very versatile defense, and it's a defense that really prides itself on its ability to take advantage of the offense's weaknesses. So you can always switch something into a blitz, that kind of stuff, to keep it unpredictable, to keep it uh, unique. And I mean, unpredictable, I guess is the word. So it's time now to take a second and acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of BSN Denver. Breckenridge is the original Colorado beer established in 1990 in Breckenridge, Colorado. You've probably heard of their delicious vanilla porter, their oatmeal stout, and most people's personal favorite, the world famous Avalanche, which is their classic American amber ale. But they just released a new beer called Strawberry Sky that you guys are going to love. For you beer enthusiasts out there, they're calling this a lighthearted Kolsch ale. But for those of you who have no idea what that means, this is that light, delicious summer beer that you've been looking for. So look for Strawberry Sky at your local liquor store or any other Breckenridge beer. And make sure you also look out for the Breckenridge event calendar on bsndenver.com. You'll be able to see all of the events that we have planned, and we will be drinking Breck beers at all of them. So RSVP and have a good time. Hey guys, it's Allie and Lindsay here, and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Winester is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Winester is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Winester, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Winester is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. 
What's also ideal about Weinster is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Weinster.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. So... I realized that I forgot to tell you guys some really important news about BSN. I got excited to talk about football because we got to get into some pretty deep football talk today, and you guys know that's my favorite thing to do. But BSN Denver, I know I've said this a bunch of times, is having a sale where you can get $10 off a year-long subscription and a free shirt uh, using the promo code SCOBUFFS, S-K-O-B-U-F-F-S, that promotion ends on Friday. So if you haven't had a chance to subscribe yet, do that now would be my advice. I think we're behind the Rams guys by four subscriptions at the moment. So it's really close. It's going to be a race down to the finish line. More importantly, BSN Denver released a new shirt today. If you haven't seen it yet, it's a black shirt. And then in gold... It kind of has the like imprint of the picture of the crying Nebraska kid from 2001 when the Buffs beat Nebraska 62-36 and the kid's on TV wiping his nose and crying. It's hilarious. Uh, if you want that shirt, you can get a subscription for $34.99 using the promo code SCOBUFFS. Get that shirt for free. There are other shirts. We have the SCO shirt with the Buffs cartoon logo, which I really like. And also the black Phil Lindsay shirt with the homegrown and the Afro. Uh, yeah. So last chance to get in on that stuff. New buff shirt. I think, yeah. So if, if you order the new buff shirt by next Wednesday and you live in Colorado, then it will ship to you by Friday so that you'll have it in time for the game. If you live farther away or if you're worried about us going out of stock, which we might, I'm not really sure how many we ordered I know that there's been an incredible Twitter response. People have been loving it, which is awesome. Maybe get those a little bit earlier. You might as well if you're going to buy it anyway. Um, yeah, I think that's all I have to say about that. So let's jump in to this defense. So we've broken down all the positions on the offense, talked about what to expect from all these different guys, how they're going to factor in, or at least you know, kind of an early idea of what that could look like. The defense is tougher. On offense, we really have a lot of positions where, you know, uh, Chris Kapilovic, the offensive line coach, says the offensive line could change. It looks like they really do have their group. Maybe there's one or two switches. Maybe the rotation is different than we expect a receiver. Probably not. You know, all this stuff, we kind of know what to expect. On the defense, it's... It's not so easy to project, but we're going to try and start right now with the defensive line. So defensive tackle, Mustafa Johnson. Yeah, that's the one that's really locked down. Uh, Naim Rodman behind him, Jeremiah Doss behind Naim. Naim Rodman's been a guy who we've heard a lot about from a bunch of different players as one of the breakout stars of camp. You know, he's a true freshman, He's actually bigger than Mustafa. Mustafa's listed 6'2", 290. I wouldn't be surprised if he's closer to six foot or maybe maybe even a little bit under. guess it depends on whether you measure his hair. But Naim, also 6'2", listed 295, and he's a big guy. I think that he's a guy who's really going to turn some heads this year. Um, maybe one of the more underrated uh, breakout potential stars uh, on this defense. At nose tackle, we have Jalen Sammy, which makes sense. The only questions about him are based on injuries. And I guess we've never really seen him on the field. He hasn't been on a football field in three years because of injuries. He's a redshirt freshman, but he's massive and really talented. When you play a team like Nebraska, it's hard not to get manhandled. You know, that's been their game for forever in the trenches. They're just bigger than you. They push you around. I mean, sure, they have, like, Adrian Martinez who can throw the ball as well, but mostly what they want to do is get to the line of scrimmage on offense 
and push you back three yards, take those three yards, and hope they can break it for more. On defense, they want to push the offensive line back. And that's really where that team starts. And that's true of a couple different teams. I mean, Utah, you could say, is that way. They're stacked throughout that defense, but their talent really does start at that defensive line. With a guy like Jalen Sammy, you don't have to be as worried about that because at the very least, he shouldn't be pushed around. He's six foot six and 320 pounds. So even if he can just hold his ground in the middle, I mean, think of, think of the Broncos defense with Domata Pecco. The last two years, they've had one of the best run defenses in the league, and it's all started with him just being able to fill the A-gaps, forcing everything outside, letting those linebackers spread out just a little bit, help them out in pass coverage so that they aren't forced right in the middle trying to stop runs right there. When, when a running back isn't just putting his head down and running straight at the line of scrimmage to the closest point, it takes him longer to hit the hole. It gives the rest of your defense more time to react. And for a defense that's built on being smart and putting themselves in good positions, that's important. Give yourselves another half second to figure out what's going on and make the play. Having Jalen Sammy is going to be massive for Nate Landman. I, I really believe that. I really believe that Nate's a guy who's going to take advantage of being able to read the offensive line at the same time as the running back. You know, I think we've talked about this a couple times, but that's really where he excels. You know, if you put him at running back, maybe he doesn't quite have the speed to be one of the great running backs, and he really doesn't have the build. Maybe he isn't shifty enough. There are a lot of reasons that he's a linebacker but not a running back, but his vision is not one of them because he could read what's going to happen at that line of scrimmage and and hit the right hole, and that's what makes him so successful on defense. By forcing running backs out of the A-gaps, it gives him an extra half-second to diagnose what's going on and meet a running back at the hole. It forces the running back to move laterally, which really benefits a, a defense like I think the Buffs have. So that's why I think that Jalen Sammy is going to be a huge piece of this defense. I think the question for me, having not seen him played much, or really at all, I don't think, is what does he look like rushing the passer? Because that's what can make him a a big-time threat. Because right now, he's just a guy who says, nope, the, the center is getting no push. You're going to have to double me with one of your guards, and I'm going to force all the runs outside, which is very valuable, but it's not flashy. And maybe he does have some pass-rushing skills, skills to get to the passer, or even break through the line of scrimmage and make plays, even though that also isn't really going to be his role. He isn't supposed to be slipping off blocks. He's supposed to just fill up all the space. That's what we don't know about him, and that's what could really make him a force in the Pac-12 and one of the big-name guys. He's he's a big kid. He's a tough kid. I've only talked to him a couple times, but I've been impressed. You know, one day he came out from practice, and he's in his practice jersey, you know, the white one with the big black numbers, and one of the numbers is peeled halfway off his chest. And... I asked him, like, what what happened there? And he was like, oh, well, I guess the offensive lineman held me. And then he said the day before that he ripped his jersey. Well, he hadn't ripped his jersey. One of the offensive linemen had ripped his jersey down past the letters in the word Colorado, holding him. That's That's how big he is. He's forcing defenses to hold him. To stop him just because he is 6'6", 320 and strong. So we'll see if he does have the pass rushing skills to become a more dynamic threat. But look for him to be really one of the keys to this run defense. Uh, 3-4 defense, which means there's one more starter. Terrence Lang, 6'7", 280. He's, he's more of your pass rusher type. Last year, he was kind of a pass-rushing specialist. He was a redshirt freshman getting his first action. So even the fact that he made on the field was something. You know, 6'7", 280, built like a pass rusher, not as, you know, the stout guy who's going to stop stop runners from getting through the line of scrimmage. But this year, this year he's a starter, which means he's going to have to learn to diversify his game a little bit. You know, we, we talked about how Jalen Sammy's job was just to... Fill up space. Don't get pushed around. Take up the middle of the field. That's not Terrence Lang's strength. Terrence Lang's strength 
strength is getting into the backfield. Whether that's, you know, he, he had a sack, he had uh, two tackles for a loss, 11 tackles total, uh, pressured the quarterback six times. You know, that's that's an interesting role for him. Oh, I said interesting again. Caught it. Uh, because he, in the 3-4 defense, you're more often than not looking for three guys who can stop the run. You know, maybe one of them's kind of a pass rusher, but mostly the pass rushing roles go to your outside linebackers who almost make it like a 5-2 if you're thinking about about it that way. Usually in the 3-4, you want big, stout defensive linemen who just take up space, stop the run. That Terrence Lang is a pass rusher, and that means that this defense could be more potent, really, than in years past. They've struggled getting a pass rush and putting a guy like Terrence Lang on the field for, who knows, maybe he's a three-down lineman, maybe, maybe not quite that much, but... He definitely adds a different dynamic than you usually see in this sort of defense. A lot of the time last year, the Buffs actually did run a 3-4 where it was just one outside linebacker who went up to the line of scrimmage, almost making it a 4-3. And that leaves Terrence Lang on the other side being the second pass rusher to uh, the outside linebacker. I hope you guys can picture this in your head. But the struggle might be for him in the running game. He's a guy who likely will get more tackles for loss and will make those flash plays in the running game because he will be in the backfield, and a couple of times he's going to hit the hole before the running back. But there will be other times when he runs an outside move and the back runs inside of him. You know, next to Jalen Sammy, that should help taking up that space. But... I think that's the real question mark is what does he look like when he's asked to do more down-to-down work in the running game versus being a pass rusher or more of a penetrative run stopper. Uh, behind him, Janaz Jordan, we've heard some good things. Jaden Simon heard some good things. Uh, nose tackle, I don't think we talked about Austin Williams and Lloyd Murray. We don't know what what this rotation is going to look like and who's going to fill which role. You know, the top guys we've learned about... Uh, did I, I didn't even say anything about Mustafa Johnson. I'm going to go back and talk about him just a little bit. He's, he's a guy who is a great pass rusher. He uses his leverage well. And you see that sometimes from little guys, you know. You know I feel weird saying little guys and then bringing up Aaron Donald... But Aaron Donald is not somebody who's tall. He just has that low center of gravity and gets that angled push that allows him to get through the line of scrimmage and get to the passer. And that's sort of what Mustafa does too, although obviously not nearly as this at the same level. He's he's solid in the run game. Of of course he is. I mean, if he wasn't, then how would he be rated so highly? You know, second team all pack twelve. And what I want to see is more consistent pass rush out of him. You know, he's got to be a guy who's getting in the backfield consistently from a defensive line position because that's what frees out the frees up the outside rushers like Carson Wells is if they're not double teamed because the offense has to commit second guys, third guys, even to Mustafa Johnson if things go really well. That's what we're looking for. You know, he's he's solid in the run game. You don't really have to worry about him there. He's a little small, but that's not his job as much. And I think that's what makes Terrence Lang a little bit scarier almost is that they both profile more as pass rushing guys than as run stuffers. So you really have a lot of this falling on Jalen Sammy and then behind him, John Van Deest and Nate Landman cleaning things up. You know, I wanted to talk to Terrence Lang today to kind of ask him about this and ask him what he's been working on and whether he feels more comfortable stopping the run since that's something that he really hasn't done much. And he ended up having the early lift today when we thought that he had the later lift and didn't have a chance to talk with him about that. But that is still something I'm going to try to get done and I'll report back when I hear more. Uh, moving on to the linebackers now, though. Uh, outside linebacker. One of them is Carson Wells, and that's something that we've known for a while now. Carson's a 
crazy good athlete, incredibly fast. You know, it's something that stuck out to me on film immediately last year was just watching him run down running backs from behind because he has that sort of speed. Uh, And he did that as a freshman, which is important because so much of being a good pass rusher is stuff that comes with experience. It's learning different moves. It's learning how to diversify. It's learning the chess match, how to set up a left tackle so that he's expecting you to go one way and then you you tweak some part of the move. The, the perfect example being uh, Von Miller torching Joe Staley a few years ago when he ran up the field uh, and then cut back on a spin move and got to the quarterback and then later in the game ran up the field, started to do a spin move, faked it, and then reversed around the top to go in for the sack. And that's still an all-time pass-rushing highlight. It's about getting the offensive lineman to do something or to think you're doing something that you're not. Last year, Carson really relied on his physical skills because he's fast and he's strong, and teams had to... uh, They had to expect the speed rush, and he was able to throw them off by being a a stronger pass rusher. Now you want to see him really become more refined. You know, he had four and a half sacks last year as a redshirt freshman. That's very good. That's that's a very, very good year, especially for a redshirt freshman. This year, you want to see that take a jump. I think he's a guy who could get up in that eight, eight and a half sack range. I think that he has that sort of talent, and I haven't been able to hear whether he really has spent the time that you need to commit to learn those moves. It's, it's something that takes a while, and you need to have good coaching, and you need to... I mean, it helps if you know guys at the professional level who can show you some of their techniques. He got by on just talent last year. Now you want to see a little more skill go into it. Uh, I think that kind of sums up what to expect from him. He's probably... I mean, it's weird to say that he's their top pass-rushing threat with Mustafa Johnson on the field, but he's in more of a pass-rusher role as an outside linebacker where, you know, that's a lot of the time, his job is just to get to the quarterback. There's a lot of reason to be excited about this group of pass rushers this year. And I think that going through this, this was my big takeaway when I was doing the research. The Buffs pass rush hasn't been great the last couple years. It's been, honestly, a little disappointing. But there's potential. I worry more about the run game, but still you have Nate Lamb and John Van Deest behind those guys so they should be able to clean stuff up I think that this is a solid combination uh particularly when we talk about how the secondary might need a little more time to figure out what exactly they're doing in this new defense having a strong pass rush helps them uh even if it gives up something in the run game you have the linebackers who can cover for this defensive line if need be I like how this sets up You know, you'd like to not have any weaknesses, but having the weakness in the secondary is probably where you want to have it based on how everything sets up. Moving along to the other outside linebacker position, we have Alex Changham, uh, who is a senior. He's, uh, I mean, obviously experienced, but behind him, you have a couple of guys, Jacob Callier and Jamar Montgomery, who I expect to see in the rotation. This is one of the more interesting positions on the depth chart to me because, oh, I said interesting. There it was again. Uh, Because the defensive line, you know who the guys are. You might not know who else is rotating in. Carson Wells, you know, is the guy on the other side. We don't know as much what this rotation looks like, whether it's Alex Changham who will really hold down that spot or whether they will rotate. Changham is more of a pass rushing type than a cover linebacker, similar to Carson Wells. I mean, if this were a 4-3 defense, I wouldn't be surprised if Changham actually converted to defensive end instead of sticking at linebacker, just because that's the type of player he is. I think he pl- he played 90 snaps last year, which comes out to about 7.5 per game. Didn't get to see too much of him, 
now he's going to be, you know, as a senior, as a as a guy who transferred from a JUCO, a key part of this defense and somebody that we really need to step up if the Buffs are going to have some sort of defensive identity. And that's what they want to do. You know, ever since Mel Tucker got to Boulder, it's been we want to hit, we want to be physical, talk with your pads, all that kind of stuff. Changham's going to be one of the deciding factors in that. You know, he if if he isn't ready for this type of responsibility, there's going to be a pretty big hole in this defense. You know, you have Jacob Callier as a sophomore who can probably jump up and contribute. You know, he played quite a bit as a freshman two years ago. Last year, he's supposed to be a sophomore. Uh, Got hurt a couple games in, ended up redshirting because he couldn't play the rest of the season or because, you know, late in the year it wasn't worth having him play and burn a year of eligibility. So now he's back as a redshirt sophomore. Again, another pass rushing guy, somebody who should see the field. We just don't know how much he's going to see the field compared to Changham. It'll be intriguing to see uh, what this this defense looks like when the star comes on the field. So they run that 3-4, but one of the linebackers, probably one of the outside linebackers, is going to come off for a safety hybrid when they go to the nickel. They'll come off for the star. That defensive line, I mean, this is more of a pass-rushing situation. You know, you're going to have Mustafa Johnson. You're going to have Terrence Lang. You're going to have Carson Wells. And then they're going to have either another defensive lineman, whether it's Niam Rodman, maybe Jalen Sammy becomes a guy that you want rushing the quarterback, or it's going to be Changham, Callier. That's the part of the rotation I'm most excited to see uh, on this defense is what does this pass-rushing defensive line look like? On third and 10, who's going after the quarterback when they only rush four? I think that'll be really telling uh, of who who they trust on this defense. And and you hope that there's rotation because that means that there are a lot of guys who are capable. Because we already know that they have, you know, Terrence Lang, Mustafa Johnson, Alex Changham, Jacob Callier, Carson Wells. You know, four of those six are going to be good enough to see the field in those situations. Likely more. So if you do have a rotation, that means that there are even more guys who they think are strong pass rushers. And that's what you want, to have the rotation. And then you can have situations where you throw six up on the line of scrimmage. Maybe you rush five of them. Maybe you send them all at the quarterback. But this versatility you get when you have extra pass rushers can't be overstated. And it's very important that they do have at least six guys that they trust in those situations. Changham and Callier, you know, those are probably the final two guys in that list of six, the fifth and sixth spot. You, you hope that they really do pan out the season, and you hope that there are more guys behind them who can fill those roles. Moving on to inside linebacker, um, the starters, very clear. Nate Landman, John Van Deest. Nate is the glue to this defense. He's the guy that they really can't do without. He stops the run. He makes the play calls. He does the communicating. He puts everybody in good situations. He's solid in pass coverage, although he hasn't been asked to you know, step too far outside his comfort zone. That's where he still has room to improve. He's not going to get much better as a run stuffer just because he's already so good. It's just tough to conceive what that would actually look like. In coverage, though, he could give this defense a little more, maybe not versatility, but the ability to ask other people to do less. Because he's asked to be a run stopper, he sticks up close to the line of scrimmage. His first step is forward. He's he's thinking run first because that's his job. And if it's a pass, then he has a small zone behind him where he's really protected. And he's not just protected because he doesn't have the skill to cover. It's because he is focused on the run first. He does have these short zones where he isn't asked to extend. He isn't asked to run sideline to sideline. He isn't asked to cover one-on-one the running backs, tight ends, all that much. If he does prove capable of doing that sort of stuff, if you can make his zone, you know, 10 yards wide, uh, that's a stretch, you know, eight or nine yards wide instead of five or seven yards wide, 
you trust him to run down the field a little bit, that takes a little bit more of the load off the other guys. John Van Deest, another guy who's more of a run stuffer than a cover linebacker. And so that's where you kind of could... I mean, I don't even think they will run into trouble, but it is a potential area where they could, is that coverage in the middle of the field, because one of those guys is going to have to step up. Either uh, either Landman needs to go from a, a B, B-plus level cover linebacker to an A-level cover linebacker, or John Van Deese needs to go from, you know, the C, C-plus up to a B himself. Somebody needs to do a little bit more. Otherwise, you're asking the star back to cover more ground or the corners to cover more ground. That's that's the flaw with these guys. But, you know, like we've said, that's not a bad flaw to have given that you have the pass rush in front of you, given that they're covering for a defensive line that's built better as pass rushers than as run stoppers. You just need more from the secondary or more from these two guys. Uh, behind those two, who I think are the pretty clear top two at this point, uh, Van Dees, they said, was in a competition, but he did hold down that starting spot. I, it might have been end-to-end through the competition. Uh, behind them, Akil Jones, though, a junior. Josh Allen, the transfers, a big hitter. Uh, you know, I don't know how much we're going to see those two guys just because of the way this defense works. Nate Landman's going to be on the field. I would guess this season he's going to be a three-down linebacker where he didn't play much on third downs last year. I think they keep him out here or out on the field and then move a safety into that second linebacker spot and ask him to do more in coverage. John Van Deest is probably a two-down guy. And then there's an opportunity for, I guess it could be Akil Jones, Josh Allen, John Van Deest in non-obvious passing situations to be that second linebacker on third downs. That's kind of how I see the rotation working, at least as of right now. We're going to get into the secondary, special teams, star back, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Maybe not tomorrow, sometime later this week, sometime before the Rocky Mountain Showdown. But that is it for this second segment. And I'm now excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. The reviews are incredible, so check them out. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped decrease anxiety, you name it. CBD is all-natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use code BSN2019 at checkout, and you'll get it shipped straight to your door. Time to hear what you guys have to say. Um, as always, if you want to have a comment read on the podcast, leave it on the previous day's post on the website. So if you want something read on Wednesday's podcast, go to today's post, which will be called uh, Breaking Down uh, the... What was most interesting? Probably the defensive line. Uh, breaking Down what to expect from Jalen Sammy, the defensive line, or something like that. Click on the post, scroll down at the bottom, uh, in the comment section, just leave whatever you want me to talk about tomorrow, and I will do that. You do have to be a subscriber, so sign up with promo code SCOBUFFS, save 10 bucks by Friday, beat the Rams uh, before the Buffs actually beat the Rams on Friday, and get yourself that awesome Nebraska crying kid shirt because it's awesome, and the Nebraska fans really hate it. I hope you guys are looking at all this on Twitter because they are upset. They're posting pictures of like the series record, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, dude, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this game where you guys, you know, wanted to go to the Big 12 championship, but instead the Buffs beat the hell out of that football team and ended up winning their first ever Big 12 title. Awesome shirt. It's like it's pulled exactly from the screen, but everything is cut out except for the scoreboard and the kid who's like wiping his nose or wiping his eye or whatever. It's pretty cool. It's really cool. Uh, Moving along to the actual comments, though, because that's what we're here for. The first one comes in from B Mixer, who says, The last two sounded good. I think you fixed your audio issue. I agree. I think that we finally do have that solved, and it should never, ever be a problem again. A Silver Buff said, I've said before, busted coverage and mental errors will be the issue with the defense. It's a new and complicated scheme. First year, we'll have a learning curve. Exactly. 
We talked a lot about that today in the first segment, so I'm not going to expand. But, yep, and that's a scary problem to have because those are all big plays. You know, when you're talking about busted coverage, very easy for that to turn into a touchdown right there. When you're talking about the end of games, if the Buffs have, you know, even a two-score lead, three-score lead, missed assignments by the secondary will let a team right back into those games. That's what's scary about this team this year. I know we've talked about Steven Montez and whether he can make the next step, this offensive line. It's the secondary that's really going to decide how the season goes. That's my expectation, at least. And they do have the talent. And we, I, I talked about that with Aaron Maddox. It's in that story that I'm posting right after I finish this show. But you just don't know whether they have the chemistry, whether they know how to work together, whether they know what they're supposed to do in given situations. By the end of the season, I really do think that they'll have it all down. It's just whether they blow an easy game because of a mistake before that. And that's just something we'll have to wait and see. I agree, Silver Buff. Uh, B. Bechter 22 says 2018 O-line starters, a 30-pound lighter Sherman, an 80% Lenat coming off an Achilles injury, a 10-pound lighter freshman Purcell, Tons, who's no longer on the team, not a Power 5 lineman, Kaiser, who graduated, not even close to a Power 5 lineman, maybe not even group of five. Uh, replacing Kaiser with Hambright and adding meat to those guys is huge. Adding cap, and I'm excited to see what on paper should be a much, much improved OL. Uh, especially against the elite CSU defensive line that averages 280 pounds according to their depth chart. Add in the fact they're starting a true freshman at guard who has three years playing football, and we should be able to dominate the trenches. I think that's fair. You know, all of it is projection, though. You can look at every position and say, the buff should be better right here, and it should be clear. But at the same time, we haven't seen it yet, and we do have to wait and see exactly how big that leap is. Maybe they're now an average Pac-12 line. Maybe they're a good line. Maybe they're still struggling, but not among the bottom feeders. But yeah, more more weight on Sherman. Sherman coming back now as a, 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 a sophomore instead of playing as a freshman should really help. Lenat not being hurt. You know, this is... This is big stuff that should be huge going forward. Uh, B. Bechter also says, best possible outcome for me is to mirror the 2001 Rocky Mountain Showdown. Bobby Purify and Chris Brown both ran for over 120 yards, and we mauled them at the line of scrimmage. That old line was elite, but hey, we haven't played a game yet, and the Kool-Aid is flowing. I, I do think that that's on the table. Actually, after watching the first game last year, I took a bunch of notes. I took like three four thousand words of notes on all these games last year and like i could find 10 of them on youtube there's still a couple that i haven't watched but the point is after the first game the rocky mountain showdown i made a note of how good the offensive line looked how they were manhandling that defense how they were setting up running plays how they were getting out to block for these screens all this sort of stuff the next week against nebraska i i was like wait what is going on? And even before that, even before I started watching tape of the second game, you know, I think Ryan Konigsberg was saying, oh yeah, this offensive line really needs to improve. It's struggling. And I was like, wait, really? They look, they look great. But that's just the talent difference between Colorado and Colorado State, especially in the trenches last year. If this offensive line is improved at all, I can't imagine what they're going to do. 120 yards for two running backs. I doubt that's what happens just because this is going to be a pass first offense because you have so many good receivers and you have a senior quarterback. You know, Fontenot and Mangum both getting enough touches to get to 120 yards. Seems like a stretch. It is on the table, though. You know, they get up big, and if uh, Mel Tucker wants to just run the ball, sure. It, it's it's something that I could see happening, although I would definitely bet against it. Um, next comment. Also B. Bechter. Oh, he's adding to another comment. Never mind. Uh, other comment. See you at Folsom. This is a long one, so I'm not going to read all of it because it's really long, but we will hit the key points. Uh, the point is, let's start at the top. I was a couple days behind, so I got cut up while mowing the lawn on Sunday and just heard Monday's podcast. Can we make a goal that the next time you have the CSU guy on with a joint conversation, maybe bring someone that is more knowledgeable about the buffs to actually call him out on his smug garbage? 
I can accept you're on a learning curve getting up to speed on the buffs and the history, but hearing that drivel from Justin, question mark, was seriously, sincerely painful. Yeah, I think that that's fair. You know, so far I've focused uh, the last few months on learning about the current buffs and getting, you know, a sense of the history, but the buffs history is still not something that I know a lot about. What I know about is what's going on right now. Um, but to your point of having somebody on who might be able to fight back a little bit with Justin about the history of these two football programs and bring it in Nebraska as well. Tomorrow, Justin and I will be on the Denver sports podcast, which if you haven't heard is what we're calling kind of the Avengers of Denver sports podcasts, where we have four writers, one from each different team on to talk uh, in a podcast hosted by Ali Monroy. So Ali hosts, usually, you know, it's Broncos, Avs, Rockies, Nuggets. We just have beat writers from all those on there talking about the different sports, giving a general update of what's going on in Denver sports. Tomorrow, since it's Rocky Mountain Showdown week, it's going to be me and Justin and Drew Creaseman talking Rockies and Ryan Konigsberg. So I have a feeling that Ryan and Allie will definitely have some things to say about Colorado State and Nebraska. So look out for that. We're, we're taping it tomorrow. I'm not sure when it comes out. It might be Thursdays. It's on the way, though. Next conversation, you will uh, you'll hear a little more pushback when Justin goes off. And it was actually kind of confusing to me, too, because you know I, I haven't studied CSU at all. And so to hear him be so high on them, especially this season, I was like, oh, okay, maybe they're better than usual. Maybe they've taken the big leap to close that gap. But no, they, I, no. Well, let's move on to some of, uh, see what Folsom points. Uh, 1985 was the last time CU was good. Really, if any of CSU's 2001 opponents that won games by less than 22 points had kicked an extra field goal at any point during the season, that would have lifted CSU's strength of schedule enough that CU would have had the additional 0.05 of a BCS point to play Miami in the national championship game. Uh, that's a great point. Something that I didn't know. That's wild. Uh, the I didn't. Oh, CU was so close to playing that national championship game. Yeah, that's wild. But yes, they've had good teams since 1985, and I think that had to be joke. But uh, people in Boulder don't care if bigger programs come to Folsom. Obviously not. Oh, let's keep reading what he said. That is absurd. That is literally the only time people in Boulder care. The diehards care regardless, but CSU doesn't even register for people in Boulder, especially when it's in Denver. It's no good reason to do home and homes with CSU when CU can do it with Texas A&M, TCU, Northwestern, or even K-State. The only way the series makes sense, especially with five slash four alternating home games within conference, is if CU makes it a two-for-one. Otherwise, Rick George is spot on. Yeah, I think we did talk about this. I think maybe you haven't gotten to the podcast where I dug into that a little bit more. But definitely got into some talk about the rivalry, why it doesn't make sense to have games in Denver, mostly because, like you said, people only care when big teams come to Boulder. That's got to change. You've got to get all of the games that you can in Boulder, turn Boulder into a party, like a football party as often as you can, starting with the Rocky Mountain Showdown, where people from Fort Collins are coming down. You know, make that place as wild as possible so people buy into the culture and slowly become a fan of the team. Trying to get people from Denver to become Buffs fans is awesome, and it's something that should be looked at, but it's something that should be looked at down the road once you've done everything you possibly can to make Boulder a football town. Uh, CSU is a rival, but only for two reasons. One, growing up in Colorado, uh, CU students, alumni, all, ha uh, all have friends, neighbors that went to CSU. Fine, fair point. Yep. A uh, CSU superfan working at BSN is the example of number two, the completely distorted view of reality their fan base projects and unearned confidence. The game literally is just nice to win to mute them, and by the next Monday, it's who's next for CU fans, but in the rare instance that CSU wins, they don't shut up. You know, I haven't been around to see that, but I would totally believe that CSU clings to that win over CU for quite a while because it is a huge win for them. A, a, a Mountain West Conference team Beating a Pac-12 team, you know, that's been happening far too often recently and something needs to be fixed. But still, that's a huge accomplishment for them. And it's not really much of an accomplishment for CU. 
Uh, he notes, I've been to every CU versus Nebraska. You know, we've, we've already started reading this whole thing. We might just read the whole thing. Uh, I've been to every CU versus Nebraska game since 1998, even in Lincoln, and I work with a lot of Cornhusker fans too. The argument that Oklahoma is a bigger rival than CU for them hasn't been true since 1989. Reason CU didn't win the coaches poll national championship in 1990 was because Todd Osborne at Nebraska voted CU so far down on the final rankings. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, there is a certain historical dominance to the series, like CU with CSU, but the Buffs are five and six since the 62-36 game, whereas the Rams are five and thirteen versus the Buffs since that same season. Your point of ticket prices was good and valid. The Oklahoma narrative, though, is only true for baby boomers or older. Once Texas joined to make the Big 12, OU only cared about Texas then, and Nebraska was already focused on CU. It helped that OU only had two nine-win seasons in the 90s and only bowl eligible four times. I, you know, this is all super interesting to me as somebody who doesn't like, I have an idea. I understand what was going on with like the big eight, big 12, all that sort of stuff. But to actually dig into the politics of everything from long ago is interesting. And all of it seems just a little bit petty. I will say that, you know, uh, it's only true for baby boomers or older that Oklahoma is Nebraska's rival. There's, there's some of that here too, because maybe not the baby boomer age, but younger people don't understand the Nebraska rivalry the same way that people who are around for all of that do. Um, let's just move on though. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, Colin Hill being a better NFL draft option than Montez. Okay. I highly doubt Hill will achieve these preseason draft projections next year. Um, somewhere has Montez seven, seven, six, uh, five, uh, yeah, skim through that one. Probably true. Probably true. A lot of projection there. He does have two seasons to make that point. Uh, Pac-12 playing no defense. Cal, Washington, Utah might disagree. Hawaii comment was irritating because it felt like forever ago, not a couple years ago. But I'll give him that since it was 2015 and the Arizona results. I don't blame you yet. But if you get bullied by him again this week without support, I will. Also, I've been waiting for the content from you and Ryan on the Mel Tucker sit-down. Where's that at? Uh, trying to decide how much to spoil. Uh, Going to go with not much. It is on the way, though. It's on the way. We have some big plans with that stuff. Uh, so, yeah. Be on the lookout is what I'll say. Uh, Bbector22 commented on that comment and said, I'll add to this. Tell Justin to take a look at the tweet by the Nebraska fan in response to the new BSN shirt. If that's not true and deep hate, I don't know what is. Yeah. I mean, Nebraska and Colorado's arrival. I think I think what a lot of it boils down to is that it's very easy to say, like, just because the rivalry hasn't been competitive all the way through makes it not a rivalry. And that's just not the case. You know, there are so, so many rivalries that have been lopsided, but are still definitely rivalries. And calling them not rivalries, I don't know. It's just a very boxed-in definition of what a rivalry has to be. I mean, are you going to try to tell me that Washington-Washington State, like the Apple Cup, is not a rivalry? No, it's definitely a rivalry. Washington has wiped the floor with Washington State. They have twice as many wins easily. You know, Rivalry doesn't just mean that the wins are the same. It means that there's like a history and that the fans hate each other. And it's so obvious that these fans hate each other and that the programs hate each other and that everybody recognizes that this is a special game because we don't get to see these teams play very often. And when they do, it's a very meaningful matchup. People live and die based on the results of this game. That's a rivalry. You know... CU-CSU doesn't have quite that much. I think if we had, we had interns from CSU uh, this, this summer at the BSN office, and a couple of times they caught me talking about, like, why, wh why do we even care about this? Like, it's so lopsided. Like, does, do the Rams even really have a shot? And they just kind of get sad, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I probably should hold that. But that's the way it is. You know, this, this shouldn't be close, but I do think that it's still a rival just because people care so much. Because you do have the neighbors who went to other schools, and you do get to talk trash. It's not nearly the same rivalry that Colorado-Nebraska is, though. Because, because Nebraska said, Sal's dead, go Big Red. That changes things. 
Because, I mean, even last year, I don't think the Callier hit where, you know, Adrian Martinez's leg gets twisted and he gets knocked off the game. I don't think that's dirty. But that's the type of stuff that happens in those Colorado-Nebraska games, and that's why it's a rivalry. People on Twitter, sure, you can cite them too because they're mad. They're really mad about the shirt that we launched. And, and I, I, I love that they're just pulling up the all-time record because that's the easy route. But the point is, the Buffs beat them in that game, and that, I mean, that alters the perspective of that Nebraska team. They, they still, you know, made the national championship run, all that kind of stuff, but they didn't even win the Big 12 title because Colorado stopped them. And that's one less trophy in their trophy case, and that's one that they wish they had. It's a rivalry. And games like that and so many other games that have happened between these two teams make it a rivalry. Even last year's game, even after not playing in so long, sure, it's easier because they're running off the history. Everybody is excited about it. But that's a classic game. Nebraska probably should have won, but the Buffs were magic and caught every break and scored by throwing a touchdown to one of the two best receivers in the country with a minute left, and then stopping Hail Mary. That's a classic game in an environment that you just just don't get unless it's a rivalry. This is a rivalry. Uh, tune in tomorrow when I talk to Justin about all this kind of stuff, and I'll yell at him, and Ryan will yell at him, and Allie will yell at him. And for all of the Buffs fans who listen to that pod, it's going to be a lot more fun than the Rams fans. Hope you guys tune in. Glad that you guys listened today. It's a fun show. I enjoyed it. I'm going to be able to talk clearly tomorrow, I hope. I've been eating soup and drinking tea, two things that I rarely do. So hopefully it helps. Uh, I should probably go through the plugs again right before we go. Sco Buffs, $10 off a year-long subscription. Get to comment on the podcast. Get to do all those fun things. Get to comment on the other stories. Get to read the other stories like the one we're publishing today, the, the, the stories on Mel Tucker that you'll want to be keeping an eye out for. And... Uh, a bunch of other fun things that aren't at the top of my head. Get that shirt uh, when you subscribe. It's awesome. People have loved it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of our top-selling shirts. You know, we we dropped it five hours ago, and we already have 31 retweets. And more quote tweets than retweets on Twitter because this is the type of stuff that BSN wants to give to Buffs fans. Uh, and I hope that we fill the stadium with these sh- shirts because it's awesome. That's all I have for you guys today. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow. I'll be back with the Denver Sports Podcast sometime in the next couple of days as well. Stay tuned. Thanks for riding with me. Bye, guys. And see you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we station, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey. Hey. You on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it.
them up, we say we got them. If we don't, then we'll get them. When we see them, then we have them. like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it, play. I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it, go. You know I'm acting bad. Holly, get a bus with my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. Man, I swear, I think they